perfectionistic people believe at root that they're not good enough, that they're not perfect enough, and that in some way they are flawed, defective, and inadequate. And they learn that belief from an early age, um, and it carries through them into later life. And I think we have to be really aware that perfectionism can have some really negative outcomes psychologically. But the productivity piece, I think, is really interesting because a lot of people tell me, well, we know perfectionism has this baggage, but are we going to need a bit of perfectionism to be successful? Well, when you look at the data, there's no link between the two, right? Perfectionism and performance don't correlate with each other. And that's really perplexing because we know perfectionists work really hard. So what explains that paradox? Have you ever wanted everything to be perfect? I mean, I, I got to think that that is... Uh, maybe a dumb question because we've all at some point wanted the results of our, our new book, our photograph, our project, our business, the results to be perfect. And yet we also can sit here as we're listening to this show or, you know, moving through our day. We, we know that perfectionism is an illusion. And that's why today's episode is exceptionally powerful. My guest today is Thomas Curran. Now, Thomas is a professor of psychology at the London School of Economics. And you might ask, what does economics and psychology have to do with perfection? And it turns out that it's everything. Not only is Thomas the uh, author of a landmark study as something hailed the very first study that compared perfectionism across generations. But he's got a TED talk on perfectionism that have received millions of views. His research has been featured all over the place from the Harvard Business Review to New Scientist to all the TV channels and whatnot. And at the core, I think, as does Adam Grant, think that Curran is an amazing global expert on perfectionism, which is, I would call it an epidemic that we've all got to pay attention to. We all need to heal from this in some way, shape, or form. Now, I am an overachiever. I was rewarded for that as a child, as many of us are, and it doesn't actually matter how perfectionism got into your life. If you are like me and this is a piece of your psychology, then today's episode is going to be incredibly helpful. We talk about how perfectionism is our favorite social flaw, right? You know, that answer to the, uh, to the interview question, what's your biggest weakness? And the proper answer is perfectionism. We talk about that. We talk about why that's tolerated in, in our culture. We talk about this as a hidden epidemic, right? That the, the idea that this is widespread is not lost on any of us. We all know that so many of us our peers, friends, that we hide. We don't put our work out in the world because we're worried about judgment and being perceived as imperfect. Um, we talk about procrastination as a form of perfectionism. We talk about social media, the impact that it has. We talk about embracing the power of good enough, which is the subtitle of Tom's new book called The Perfection Trap, Embracing the Power of Good Enough. Today's episode is going to help any of you who deal with the, uh, again, the epidemic of perfectionism. Join me, Thomas Curran. Enjoy the show. 
Thomas, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. We're, we're ha- excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. I obviously just shared a lot of background about you in the intro to the show. And still, I love to hear from guests in their own words. What is it that you're working on right now? Um, a little context for how you got to where you are would be super helpful. Go ahead and, and uh, share a little bit with our listeners and watchers. It's me. Yeah. Um, so I'm an, I'm a professor and I never re- expected to be a professor. It wasn't something that when I was younger, I dreamed of. I actually dreamed of being a, a soccer player. <laughs> Nearly made it, but didn't quite. But that ex- those early experiences of setback and uh, failure actually were really interesting because they taught me a lot about life and how there are things you just can't control and sometimes from nowhere you're just going to you're going to hit roadblocks and setbacks and it's going to be really really tough and i think from a very young age those early experiences um kind i don't know looking back i think i think they did carry carry forward with um and giving me an interest in psychology and personality and and how it is that our psychology interacts with the environment and uh so i think that's really i guess where my fascination started with um human psychology and then I went to university to study sport but I was really interested in the psychology of sport uh, from those formative experiences and then I ended up uh, doing a PhD and then a, a professorship and um, and throughout that process I put a lot of pressure on myself to excel um, and I kind of became aware of this concept of perfectionism and I used to think it was doing me good and then I looked deeper into my own psychology but also research and found that actually maybe it's not doing me as as much good as I thought it was Uh, so I looked into it in a little bit more detail and here I am really writing the book on it Um, after about a decade of work uh, self-introspection self-analysis but also the analysis of uh, lab lab research, cross-sectional research, um, and uh, me- what we call meta-analyses in the field, just collating all the possible research that's ever been done to try and understand this thing a bit better. So that's the whistle-stop tour. I love it. I heard uh, also that the BBC hailed your research as the first to compare perfectionism across generations. So we are going to be interested in uh, scratching a bit at that. But I do want to start off um, in part out of selfish reasons – but you mentioned starting off uh, pursuing soccer or football, as they would say, across the pond, uh, and that you you didn't you weren't quite good enough to make it, whatever the make it uh, that you had in mind was, and that that was an early both an early tip to uh, psychology and and part of your interest, and something that probably led you down this path of perfectionism and good enough and and this um investigating the relationship between those two things what's in the the heading and the subhead right perfection trap versus the power of good enough um and and so from selfishly i'm curious to start at the um the relationship between sport and psychology also having grown up playing soccer going to college on a soccer scholarship playing on the olympic development Ah, team and and I was introduced to psychology, specifically sports psychology and visualization as a young age. I'm curious if you can start there around specifically the visualization and this, the, the headspace that one, that, that how you got interested in, in psychology through sport. 
Yeah, it's so interesting you say that because the, the, the journey for me was really enlightening in retrospect. At the time, it's quite traumatic because you get cut in the most brutal way. And as a young person, that's really difficult to deal with emotionally. However, um, the reason I didn't uh, make the cut is because I was what um, one of my colleagues uh, a few years ago who studies uh, biology and maturation calls an extreme late developer. So essentially, I got to my mid uh, early teens and um, I wasn't developing anywhere near as quickly as the other boys who were a lot faster, fitter, stronger um, and were just kind of racing ahead of me for no other reason than the fact that they were just maturing at an earlier age. And as a young person, you don't really understand that, that that's you think there's something wrong with you. Like what on earth is wrong with me that I'm not catching up with these boys uh, physically? Um, and of course, it meant that I wasn't able to compete. I was very technically gifted, um, but I just couldn't compete. And after a couple of years slogging it out, uh, unfortunately, the decision was made in the academy that I was at, at the time that I was going to be cut. And that was very devastating. I took it out on myself. I blamed myself. I, 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 I was ins insanely self-critical about how I possibly could have let that happen. And it's only in retrospect when you realize that there was just nothing I could have done about that. That was just fate's hand <laughs> and yeah. fate's nothing personal, you know, <laughs> and, and, at, and at 30 years old, when I'm when I'm introspecting on my own life, that was really a, the start. I think I was always an anxious kid, but that was really the start of, of a, an intense desire to overcompensate for things that I just can't control. And in, in, in a very broad sense, that's what perfectionism is at root. It's an overcompensation for what we think is defective or flawed about ourselves. And mm. even though there's nothing we can do about these things, we're, we're born in certain ways um, with certain fixed entities and, that's, and these imperfections and these flaws and these shortcomings are what make us us. Nevertheless, we are told in this society that everything is on us. We have to push ourselves well beyond comfort. Um, and there are expectations out there, I don't know, in the economy or in work or in education or in social media that tell us we need to be really, really high. And sometimes it's just not physically possible or it's, uh, or it's not possible given the circumstances we met with. And that's and that's OK. But it's really difficult uh, in this culture to kind of um, be at peace with that because we're always taught to do more. So that's really like those early formative experiences of setback and failure, the things that I just couldn't control really were, I think, the spark of my own perfectionism, but they also helped me understand it better when you look back in retrospect. Yeah, certainly you can see where the cue to study this sort of stuff comes from um, yeah. when, you've, when you've lived through that. And I'll just say it's traumatic, right? And there are lots of traumatic experiences that we have as young, young people. And, you know, trauma can have capital T and have small t. And, and what, what we all know is that regardless of what the first letter looks like, we all experience it. Um, as a part of, you know, our humanity becoming human. Um, mm. And so this, if we can continue down this sort of awareness of perfectionism as overcompensating for what we perceive to be as inadequacies, what we perceive as inadequacies are, but are really, you know, parts of us that ought to be embraced or welcomed. I want to explore two things, how, how this negatively affects our mental health, our productivity, our even maybe our very humanity. And then I want to understand a few things that are, I would just call strategies or tactics for overcoming this. Cause this is to me, 
a skill that we can master. We can master not over-indexing on getting ourselves, you know, trying this, this pursuit of perfection. So if you're willing to, let's start at the start, right? Let's talk about how, how does this, this belief that we are, you know, that, that we need to overcompensate, how does it affect our mental health, our productivity, our well-being? So let's start with mental health. Perfectionistic people believe at root that they're not good enough, that they're not perfect enough, and that in some way they are flawed, defective, and inadequate. And they learn that belief from an early age, um, and it carries through them into later life. And there are many reasons why we, we think like that. Some of it's genetic, but some of it's also social, cultural. And we live in a world that kind of highlights and amplifies flaws and shortcomings and celebrates the unicorn achievers so of course we're going to introspect on ourselves negatively in that context but from that core belief of not being good enough comes certain behaviors which can be really rigid obsessive um, which can lead us to push through scenarios and situations where we really need to do things like rest stop um, and find rejuvenating activities that um, you know might allow us to show vulnerability and uh rest but in this culture are things that we really push past when we're perfectionistic people because we don't want to show any weakness we don't want to we don't want to show that in some way you know mm -hmm. we're slowing down so that creates a lot of difficulty one in one in the sense that we're trying because we're trying to prove to other people that we're worth something we seek their validation we seek other people's approval which means we strive to be perfect but then we set ourselves up for the failure that exposes those inadequacies that we're trying to hide that creates a lot of anxiety lower self-esteem so we overcompensate even more to try to make up for the um vulnerabilities and chinks that we've shown to the world but of course again they're too high so we fail again and you can be so begins this really self-defeating cycle um where we feel worse about ourselves we low mood this is why perfections just link things like depression uh, anxiety and over time you know left untreated it can really turn into some really negative things like hopelessness helplessness and all the rest of it so that's the mental distress piece and i think we have to be really aware that perfectionism can have some really negative outcomes psychologically but the productivity piece i think is really interesting because a lot of people tell me well we know perfectionism has this baggage but are we going to need a bit of perfectionism to be successful well, when you look at the data, there's no link between the two, right? Perfectionism and performance don't correlate with each other. And that's really perplexing because we know perfectionists work really hard. So what explains that paradox? Well, there's two reasons. Perfectionists work hard, but they work unsustainably hard. So they push themselves above and beyond comfort. They sacrifice areas of life that they need to, to rejuvenate, to replenish, spending time with friends, going and doing a workout, eating a healthy diet, getting good restful sleep. These are all things we know are really important for productivity. They don't do. So they end up burning out. And we see a lot of burnout in perfectionistic people. But the second reason they don't perform as well, or, or don't perform any better than non-perfectionistic people is, is, is for anything more fascinating. And that's because perfectionism interacts with challenge in a really interesting way. And I'll tell you what this looks like. So we do some really interesting lab-based work where we use sport, because sport's a really interesting conduit of failure. And we put people in a lab and we say, okay, based on your fitness, you should be able to cycle a certain amount of distance a certain amount of time, right? This should be comfortable for you. So go away and do it. And we get them to do it and they all try really hard to meet this goal. And then at the end we tell them, oh, sorry, you didn't make it no matter how well they did. You didn't quite make it, but don't worry, you got another chance to have another go. And this is where something remarkable happens in the head of a, of a perfectionist because 
the non-perfectionistic people, well, they go again and it's fine. You know, they put in the same amount of effort. If not, they put in a little bit more. But the perfectionistic people do the opposite. They withhold their effort. Their effort drops off a cliff because they felt so embarrassed and ashamed of the failure that it exposed that vulnerability to other people that they don't want to feel those feelings again. So in their mind, if they withhold effort, then what they're basically doing is, well, I can't fail at something I didn't try at. So I'll just not try. And so you see this in all sorts of weird behaviors with perfectionists. So they actually do withhold their effort. So in order to avoid failure, they'll sabotage their uh, chances of success. And you see this all the time, not just in avoiding activities that are challenging, but also procrastination. Huge among perfectionistic people. Distraction, avoidance of really draining tasks because they know there's this anxiety that they feel and they need to manage through withdrawal. And of course, that's not conducive to performance either. So you have a lot of distress on the one hand, but you don't have the performance benefits either. So what I'm trying to you know, really highlight in the book is that this is something that we need to be aware of. It's something we celebrate and lionize in society, but it's not doing us any good. Mm. That was a laser beam. And that is fascinating, that correlation. I would have thought, as you indicated, we likely were thinking that there is some upside to perfectionism. You get closer. And now I know that that's false. Um, so let's get, I think, productivity. I don't know if that... Um, if that truly encapsules the only questions I had, I had a, questions around mental health. Productivity is good, I think, and you just made a very cogent point there. But what about things like happiness? What about things like well-being, being fulfilled? It's clear that that you know the title of the book is the perfection trap, right? So you've indicated that there's um, <laughs> there's some trappings. But what is the results that you see in the research, uh, happiness, sort of uh, overall satisfaction with quality of life in perfectionist versus non-perfectionist? Well, perfectionism is, is the thief of joy. And, you know, if you look, if you want to get a gauge on whether you yourself are a perfectionistic person, then ask yourself, what is your first feeling when you've done something well? Because perfectionistic people's first feeling will be relief. Relief that they didn't screw up. That they did what they were expected to do, both by other people and themselves. This is just par for the course. I was supposed to succeed, so why should I celebrate this? This is, I, you know, I have these high standards that I, I identify with, that um, characterize me, and as a consequence, I should be succeeding. So if your first feeling is relief, then it's highly likely you'll identify with perfectionism at some level. However, the issue with that is what it means is that we can't derive any lasting satisfaction, happiness, contentment from our accomplishments because it's kind of success is almost like a bottomless pit for the perfectionist and, and not, it exposes our dreams as nothing more than, than dead ends because once we've achieved something, there's always the next thing and there's always the next thing and the next thing and the better we do, the better we expect ourselves to do but also importantly, and, and this is so crucial, the better we think other people expect us to do. Because now we've set a new benchmark and we've got to go even higher. And that is the problem. The, the, the fatal flaw of perfectionism is that there is no room in the perfectionistic mindset for us to enjoy, savor what we have achieved and where we are in life. And instead, what we're filled with is a constant search and need to continually excel, do more, 
have more, achieve more, be more. And of course, that's an exhausting existence. And it doesn't give us any opportunity to land in a, in a, in a sweet spot of contentment where we feel actually, you know, right now in this moment, I've achieved, we've achieved so much. And we can look back at those achievements and feel a sense of pride. And we're able to savor that achievement. And the perfectionists simply cannot do that. And that is why simply they don't experience as, as much happiness as non-perfectionistic people, simply because they won't allow themselves to. And, and that's why I, I, I try to make the point that, you know, this not only does it rob us of this kind of joy and contentment and happiness, but we don't even get the performance benefits. So, you know, simply put, why are we, why would we put ourselves through this significant strife if there are better other ways to strive? All right. I'm going to make some assumptions in this little, this question that I'm going to you know, peel a little onion here. So I think it's, I will say the word it is fact, because I believe there's enough science out now to say that, that social media has negatively impacted our well-being. We see more visions of perfectionism in the curated lives that people post online than at any other point, because prior to media like social media, where everyone was their own publisher, we didn't have there was not the volume of input. We saw the peers next to us at the soccer academy struggling. You weren't the only person to get cut, for example, and you weren't the only person to get uh, a, a lower grade on your exam score or whatever. And yet here we are in an age of social media where I think the, the dominant paradigm that we see is a standard that is not maintainable. So what can you do to tell me about the relationship of social media? Is there any research in your world that supports the fact that it's not healthy and maybe some ways that our listeners and watchers could think about the relationship to that such as it stands rather in relation to the perfection trap and instead embracing a, 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 the power of good enough uh, in, instead of, uh, you know, how social media makes us feel, makes us yeah, think. Yeah, it changes. There's no doubt that social media has changed our lives, you know, beyond compare. I don't think there's any any new technology, really, that has infiltrated our lives to the extent that social media has. And there is a lot of evidence, you're absolutely right, to suggest that social media can inculcate some some quite negative feelings about ourselves and how we interact with other people um and i you know it's important to remember that social media didn't just arrive out of a vacuum it, it came on the back of other um uh societal forces namely advertising that kind of worked on a similar model where you know a deficit model where you okay you 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 have these issues in your life. They're not quite fulfilled. You're not quite content enough, but here's a material product that you can use to plug those gaps and you'll feel happy and all the rest of it. This is just how social media works. But the difference is that we're the content creators that are creating a sort of hall of mirrors of discontent into which those targeted advertisements thrive. So I think one of the pieces of this is awareness of this is just how it works. Um, and, and secondly, for us to, engage in it in a healthier um uh more in life enhancing way because social media is is just a technology and it can be used for good or it can be used for bad 
It can be used to bring us together around shared interests, uh, to draw in and build communities, to strengthen offline relationships, if we wanted to use it for those things. Um, or it can be used to compare, contrast, and as you mentioned there before, you constantly feel like there's a sense that we're not enough because everyone's life and life, lifestyle um, is perfect. It's really up to us uh, how we choose to use it. Now, into your question about how does it in, interface with perfectionism, well, we know from a lots of lots of research that we've done that perfectionistic people struggle inside social media because of those social comparison, comparative elements, and the perfectionist will see a, a very you know airbrushed image and they'll instantly make a negative self-judgment about themselves about why can i not live that lifestyle why do i not look that way and they and they, those uh, feelings will be exacerbated by their perfectionism to such an extent that it will have an impact on their mood um and their levels of anxiety and we know this from many many studies to show that there's a very strong interaction between social comparison on social media and perfectionistic tendencies so if you're a perfectionist and you're in social media there's going to be some negative outcomes um but as as i say i i think it's it's really we would don't necessarily have to throw the baby out with the bath water i think there are certain elements of social media that are very positive and, and should be retained there are certain elements that have certainly exacerbated epidemics of perfectionism. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and it's really for us as a society really to have a conversation about how, how we should be using social media. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's the important point. Great. Um, yeah. You know, that we're not wired to manage this level of access to dopamine. We've had other, other doctors on the show that have, you know, before that have helped us understand that. And it's a, that's a little bit of a scary prospect. Um, we talk about perfectionism pretty casually, culturally, right? Oh, you know, the old question in the job interview, right? Like, what's your biggest flaw? Like, oh, I'm such a perfectionist. That's like the classic answer, right? And so we're able to throw this term around again with that sort of like see the earlier point that you made about people think that there's an upside to perfectionism. You're pretty dang good at what you do, but what you showed from the earlier research was very, very, what you mentioned from the earlier research that you discovered was interesting, but also like, why is this socially acceptable when we know based on your research that it's doing harm to us? We're performing at a lower level. We're less happy at what, you know, <laughs> I just because, like, why well, is it acceptable? Why haven't we looked at this and said, you're unhealthy, this level of perfectionism? Because all we see in this culture and society are the winners. That's all we see. We, we only interview people that have made it through some survival threshold. That's to say they have made it to the top of their profession in business, sports, arts, whatever it might be. And they're the people that we listen to because they're the people that we think are worth listening to. And some of those people will tell you that they're perfectionistic people and we extrapolate from their testimonies that therefore perfectionism must be this great thing, this great thing that carries us forward, despite the baggage that we need it to succeed, to get to the very top in this hyper-competitive world. And what we're falling foul of there is classic survivorship bias because underneath those winning testimonies are hundreds of millions of other perfectionistic people who are doing exactly the same things, uh, striving in exactly the same way in significant discomfort, but without a Grammy or an Olympic medal or a, a Fortune 500 business to show for it. Um, and so I think we have to be really wary of this selection effect in modern society, because when all we see is the winners, when all we celebrate 
is the winners. We get a very warped view of what it means to be successful. And actually, if you really want to understand success, you have to look at failure. You have to look at the people that didn't quite make it because when you do that, and we've done many, many studies looking at what happens in, in the event of failure. When you do that, you learn way more about what it takes to be successful than you do from listening to why people who made it were themselves uh, successful. Because there are so many reasons beyond perfectionism that people made it to the top. Luck, happenstance, being in the right place at the right time, meeting the right people, growing up in the right community. Uh, genes, as we talked about earlier, you know, my, my gene I was born with a tendency to be a late maturer. And that isn't my fault. There was nothing I could do about that. And yet it, it, it meant that I didn't get past the selection process. These are things that simply are out of our control, are out of our hands, and they have way more exploratory power in why it is that people made it to the very top than the things we think make it, help make, uh, get people to the very top. And that's why I think in modern society we do celebrate perfectionism because we, we think we see it in the winners and we extrapolate from that that therefore it must be perfectionism that got there. But, but this is classic survivorship bias. And I think we need to be very aware of that because as I, as I mentioned throughout this conversation, when you actually look at the data, you get a very different story. Mm -hmm. Speaking of data, you've called this the hidden epidemic. This is, yeah, again, a pointer to the thing that I said early on in our conversation that I wanted to come back to, and that is your multi-generational study of perfectionism. I'm wondering if you can share what you found and what that says about where we are and what we can do about it. Absolutely. So one of the things that I was really keen to do when I set out on my journey exploring perfectionism was understand this as broad as possible um, perspective, because I experienced perfectionism myself. I saw perfectionism all around me. And one of the things I was really interested to know is, well, is this a new zeitgeist? Is this something that's growing among uh, people coming of age in the modern world? And so I did a massive study um, 30 years worth of data scraped from all different sources. And what we found was perfectionism is indeed rising and it's rising really quickly. But what's most concerning is it's the social dimension of perfectionism, what we call socially prescribed perfectionism. That's the sense that everyone and all around me expects me to be perfect. Well, that's rising really fast. And from the bottom of the trajectory to the top, there's about a 40% difference between 1989 and the present day, which is huge huge increase and it's on an exponential curve by the way which means it's growing it's rising at a rapid clip into the present day um so we need to be we need to be aware of that as a society because at the moment i think we we can fall into the trap of lionizing this as thinking that this is somehow positive or something that young people need to embrace when actually the data tells us it's the opposite and so i've really described it as a hidden epidemic because i think it's hidden in plain sight hidden by its very ubiquity we're seeing it all around us, and so we don't notice the danger. Um, and again, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, really, is to kind of raise the warning of this uh, brewing epidemic. Well, let's start to shift gears then and understand a little about what, what are some things that we can do. I know, again, I like to point to the title of your newest book, The Perfection Trap, Embracing the Power of Good Enough. And you know, the juxtaposition of the word trap with good enough says that you've got a plan for us to get through this. What is, you know, how ought we be thinking about it instead of the way that we have been largely culturally with the dominant paradigm being perfectionism? Yeah, of, co of course, there's loads of things we can do. I think the first thing, though, the most important thing is to recognize that there's a broader context to this feeling of not being enough. 
and needing to be perfect to compensate for those feelings. You know, this is, we live in a world that teaches us that we're not enough every single day, whether it's through advertising or whether it's through the schools and colleges that we attend, where there's all sorts of people that are just way ahead of us or we feel like are way ahead of us, whether it's social media and we feel like everybody around us is living this perfect life and we're not living that life. Um, or, you know, whether it's at work and, you know, the high pressure, high octane jobs that we all uh, hustle and grind in to the present day. There's a, there's a big context to these feelings. And I think it's really important to take the power of personal responsibility for how you feel, because this isn't your fault. You do live in a culture and a society that, uh, that tells you that you're not good enough all the time. And I think that's the first thing. From there, what's the most important stuff we can do as individuals? Well, I think really for me, and this was the biggest breakthrough in my own rehabilitation, is to understand that there's nothing at all shameful in being average. Average is a decidedly dirty word at the moment, and it really shouldn't be. Uh, Mathematician Nassim Taleb did a recent analysis and showed that if you wanted to make it to the very top of any discipline or field, he used sport as an example, you need to be a Six Sigma individual. That's to say one in 1.4 million people make it to the very top, right? But you wouldn't think that, would you? If you look out into the world and see social media and you see advertising, you see these people who are broadcast on the TV and into your lives 24-7, you wouldn't think it's that difficult. But that's the reality. And 70% of us, fully 70%, right, are going to be somewhere in and around the average. And there really shouldn't be any shame in being average. Most of us are very probably average. And that's okay. And that doesn't mean you can lack ambition. And that doesn't mean you can't work. And if your talents and efforts take you to the very top, that's amazing. I enjoy that. Savor it. Breathe it in. You deserve to. But if you don't quite make it to the top, that's okay too. Acknowledging and understanding that life is not a perfect uh, utopia, that sometimes you're going to slip up, sometimes you're going to fall short, sometimes you're not going to quite make it to the top, and that's okay helps us to be far more contented and live more purposeful and meaningful lives knowing that we don't constantly have to do more be more have more and i think that's that's as an individual's a philosophy mindset shift whatever you want to call it i think that's so so um important i can give you some uh helpful hints and tips at a very practical level if you want but yeah. for me that was the biggest one I do want to get to the practical, but before we go there, we're going to put a pin in that. We're going to come back to some practical, actionable things because we all, that's one of the, my favorite things about this show is we talk about the theory, but we'll deliver some actual tactical value. But in the meantime, help me understand the, it's sort of, it's sort of like there's this spectrum, right? And at some point, not caring at all is not helpful. Caring too much, if we can put that in the bucket of perfectionism, is toxic. How ought we orient? Because if you're selling the idea that, um, actually, based on the math, most of us are average. We don't have a culture that reveres average. We there is a spectrum that if you can be better at a thing that you care about, that that may make you feel better emotionally. So how ought we think about this spectrum? It seems like the irony, the trap seems like there is no good answer rather than the trap being the trap of perfect. Help us well, understand that. The trap is, is, is being trapped by expectations about trying to chase the tails and the, and the, the, and, and that's so exhausting, debilitating. We talked about the reasons why. 
the 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 solution really is to try to get your head out of the the chase and to try instead to carve a, a life that's full of purpose and meaning for things that are important to you and whatever they are and by the way we need we need do need society to meet us me in the middle there if it's society yeah. also needs to be structured so it actually rewards those passions and meaning and purpose because right now if you're a teacher or a nurse or whatever that's your passion then you're not going to necessarily be as well rewarded if you're a banker or whatever however what i will say is it's so important that you find that meaning and purpose and try not as hard as you can to chase the tails of distribution that doesn't mean by the way that again that doesn't mean you don't you don't strive that doesn't mean that you can't work hard and that doesn't mean that it that that doesn't preclude you from success of course not it just means that you're doing those activities and you're chasing the things that are meaningful to you for for the joy for the flow of the experience for the purpose and meaning not for the outcome and i think so I, I i can't emphasize enough how how important um that is and you'll find people that uh, you know you'll meet people occasionally who do that and you'll just be blown away <laughs> because there's a sort of serenity to uh, an openness that is very envi- enviable um and it, and it, and i think that's for me that's the most important shift from from outcome and chasing something that's going to be really hard to to, to reach to actually finding the meaning and the purpose in the chase itself Give us some other tips. That was bordering on a tactic on how to think about it, right? Shifting the mentality, trying to find peace in the moment, not being outcome oriented. Being is it about being process oriented? Is it about you know finding joy and then doing the thing, or rather than relying on the thing to provide the joy? Like, give us some tactics now. Absolutely. So, of course. So, look, you know, look. This is this isn't. um, This is all about. I think the the biggest thing is is to try to break through those tendencies that perfectionists have to impress and manage, to worry about the outcome, to be hyper competitive, and all the rest of it. And it's really about opening ourselves up to the world, being brave, being vulnerable. You know, we can growth mindset, focus on growing our abilities, which are you know which which we can develop. This is all great stuff, but taken to the extreme, that can also lead to perfectionism because it's a focus on intense effort and application all the time, never stop. I think the biggest thing is to just try as much as we possibly can to challenge our impulse to impression manage all all the time and try and push ourselves out there, knowing that we're not going to be world champion, knowing that we're not always going to succeed. So I mean, a good example in my own life is um, once uh, I was uh, I didn't make it in football, I took up um, guitar and I got to a really high standard of that, and but I can't sing. So one of the things that I did was just focus on the guitar because I was so embarrassed about people hearing me sing in a, in what I believe was a really terrible way. And I, and, and that was very, um, uh, that was because of my perfectionism, because I couldn't bear doing something not a hundred percent well, or not at a really high level. So I didn't do it at all. And I think really if on a practical level it's about challenging that belief, just because you're not world-class at something, doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. Doesn't mean you can't do it. Doesn't mean you can't find purpose and meaning from it. And you can take this to a work context. Sure, you know, you might think that you're not a very good speaker. And lots of people do. I hear this all the time. But it's so, so important that you push yourself out there and that you do it anyway. You feel that fear and you do it anyway. Because one of the consequences of not being a, not doing a very good job, by the way, aren't as catastrophic as you think they are. But secondly, you're really smashing through that urge to manage the impressions and you're pushing yourself into a new out of your comfort zone, into a new zone of trepidation, fear, not knowing how it's going to end up. 
but you're learning to manage those emotions. You're learning gradually to let them wash over you, not as something that's a threat, but something that's quite humanizing actually. Um, and if the more you can do that, the more you can push yourself out on a, on a day-to-day basis, little steps out of your comfort zone. That's like taking a sledgehammer to your perfectionism and knowing that you do not have to be world champion at something in order to enjoy it, in order to find meaning, in order to find purpose. What's most important is that you're doing things that make you feel fulfilled. And so at a very practical level, that's the thing I would say to most people, including my students, is the most important thing to do. Take little steps out of your comfort zone. Challenge your perfectionism. Feel the fear. Do it anyway. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And the more you do it, the more you get used to those feelings of discomfort, the the more you grow, but also the better you perform and the more contented you feel in opening yourself up to the world. And there's nothing, there's no more joy that can be found really in just being yourself. And trust me, there's no more stifling feeling than trying to be somebody else, somebody perfect. So um, I think that's one of the biggest practical tips that I can give people. Um, I mean, I have others for procrastination. That's also very, um, <laughs> very talk- common among perfectionistic people. Yeah, let's talk about um, procrastination. So that's similar to like pushing yourself out there is actually just getting it done. And, and I think the biggest thing is to chunk time. So th- I really struggle with procrastination as well as managing impressions. So not, you know, not playing music because I felt embarrassed to, um, it's the same with procrastination. I didn't put stuff down, writing a book for instance, I just wrote this book. It took me three years. Um, so, th- you know, I'm still not through this, but what he tried to do is little steps. So give I, what I now do 30 minutes. All right. I've got 30 minutes. I'm going to get something down. It doesn't matter what it is. It just, I have to get something down in this 30 minutes and then I'm going to give myself a break and then I'm going to come back to it. And what you find is once you get started, things are way easier to work with because you've got a kind of template, you've got a basis and you can edit and you can iterate. And the final product is not going to look anything like what you did in that first 30 minutes, but it doesn't matter because you got something started. So I chunk my uh, very short period of time and I make sure that I get something done um in that time i normally get it for, for 30 minutes i normally give myself a challenge of about 200 words but it can be different for every person the point is that you have to produce some output doesn't matter what it is and then keep going and then you can edit and then you can iterate and then you can keep going um so pushing past that mental block is so so important and giving yourself structure and, and limits is is one of the ways you can do that mm. so i would imagine that if i'm it's, let's just say i could magically survey in one stroke here everyone who's listened or gonna listen or has listened to this particular episode and you know that this audience orients largely creative entrepreneurial human performance is a big underpinning theme for the show and and so i think for all those reasons the people listening may be even disproportionately uh oriented toward this perfectionism epidemic that you've you've talked about and that makes to me this advice this particular episode and our conversation today even more valuable so if we think about a a, a creative act there has not and will never be a perfect anything right perfect is literally an illusion so what could you tell let's just say there's one particular person that you're speaking to who's a a member of our community, what would you tell that person about their work such that they could more easily embrace the concepts like that done is better than perfect and, and 
you know, good, the concept of good enough as, as an artist, how that is actually more, you know, more you rather than Michelangelo. And because you're no Michelangelo, but you're a great you, that actually is a, a dramatic accelerant. Like, let's just pretend you're giving advice to specifically to our audience right now. What would you say? Just as perfection is a fee for joy, it's also the fee for creativity because what it means is it moves us, as I mentioned earlier, whenever we encounter a setback and challenge, which by the way, in the creative process is going to happen all the time. Most of the things you start off aren't going to, aren't going to come off that's the whole point of creating something new there's going to be way, way more stuff that ends up in the in the scrap heap than stuff that actually makes it but it's that one idea that makes it that is worth the all of that failure and all of that effort and all that experimentation this is really challenging for the perfectionistic person because that all of that unknown is so scary it's so scary because you're going to encounter so many setbacks along the way so what 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 would i say well i'd say first of all it's important to maintain a healthy level of self-compassion don't go in on yourself every time that happens and ask what was wrong with you? How could you be so stupid? What on earth were you thinking? It's really important that you treat yourself with kindness at all times. And that means not turning in yourself. It means treating yourself like you treat a friend when they made the same mistake. Put your arms around yourself and tell you tell yourself, it's okay, look at the bigger picture, how far you've come. Look at all the things you have achieved and the things that have come off. Well, that's going to happen again. We just need to keep persevering. We need to keep going because trust and faith in your abilities is so so important and with that trust and faith in your abilities comes a comes a sense of self-compassion that you are going to get there it's just going to take time and it might not be on the timeline by the way that you've set yourself and that's also fine uh there's also other things that perfectionists people really struggle with in particular distorted thinking so they can have very rigid self-expectations that you know if i didn't get if it didn't come off on this occasion i must work harder or i must do better or you know it's this kind of very must have to very rigid and black and white type thinking now i would encourage you not to repress those thoughts because you're going to think them all the time even though they're not especially healthy and, and in some cases they are irrational it's important to actually write them down and reflect on them and ask yourself how much do you actually believe this thing that's going through your mind right now is it a must or is it a maybe or is it, it would be nice to or is it okay in in four months five months six months that would be okay but right now maybe not so much so ask yourself what exactly is the urgency and what exactly is is this uh, for? Because maybe it's not a must. And I would also ask you to think about the consequences too, because the reason you feel like you must do something because you're worried what's going to happen if you don't. So think about what the consequences are. And is it as dire as perhaps in your mind's eye you, you're thinking right now? Because perfectionists catastrophize. They often worry about what's going to happen if I let people down or let myself down. And actually critically reflect on that. Okay, so what if I screw up that presentation, right? What if it doesn't go quite to plan and we don't get any bids? We don't make any sales? Is that as catastrophic as I'm making it out in my mind's eye right now? Or is it actually just part and parcel of learning about the product, learning about how to deliver the pitch and something that I can take into the next, um, the next pitch we do and perhaps have better results next time? Again, think about the consequences. Work through in your mind's eye exactly what's going to happen because again, a lot of these things, thoughts are quite um, irrational. So reframing, constructive thinking, compassionate uh, and self-kindness types of thinking, all of these things are really important for the creatives because they really help smash through perfectionism. <laughs> That's so helpful. Um, I know it. I, I would be uh, lying if I didn't share the fact that I have been a high 
you know, had high standards to the point of difficulty on all sorts of different vectors in my life. And, you know, I know my mom listens to the show and I know uh, from the book that, <laughs> that uh, perfectionism is something that starts at home. Um, I'm wondering, you know, how do we both, you know, acknowledge this, reconcile it, uh, and then what do we do not to repeat it? But the first thing to say about perfectionism is important. It's actually really interesting you bring that up about not, uh, reconciling and, and uh, coming to terms with it. Because a lot of perfectionists that people will tell me, well, the thing is, Tom, perfectionism is the one thing that's holding me up when everything and all around me seems to be coming down, right? So I don't want to give it up. Like, this is the one thing keeping me going. This is the one thing that's moving me forward. And, and what I, you know, my job and my challenge really is to try to convince people that actually it's the opposite, that what is creating those problems is the perfectionism and trying to push through all the time uh, with perfectionism is creating the conflicts and the issues and the tensions that you're experiencing. And if you can let go of the perfectionism, you'll find that those other issues um, ameliorate uh, with it. So for me, it's really important to build awareness of that, to build awareness that, you know, this thing we think is the caped crusader in our lives is actually something that underneath the surface is really holding us um, back. And, 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 and once we can make, meet that, uh, once we meet that realization, then that does give us a lot of thing, permission to do things that we wouldn't necessarily give enough permission to do before, right? Things like taking time away, put it, letting things go when they haven't been quite perfect enough, uh, engaging in preemptive self-care. That's to say, when we're just slightly realizing that perhaps we're working too hard, exhaustion's creeping in, burnout's around the corner, that actually we can take affirmative action before things get out of hand perfectionism doesn't let us do that but if we can shift that mindset and realize that the perfectionism is what's creating those problems then suddenly it gives us permission to take action so perfectionism can really um create a very narrow focus where we're only really thinking about what's next as i've, I've explained and if we can just build that realization and we and we can come to terms with the fact that we don't need to be perfect then actually we'll be healthier happier and more productive if we strive in other ways if we try to be conscientious meticulous d diligent persevere these are all great things but they come from a very active optimistic place of wanting to do better wanting to improve wanting to grow but also acknowledging that we're not all going to do those things at all times and sometimes they're going to be setbacks that's okay sometimes we're going to hit robots that's okay sometimes it's going to take longer than we thought it did that's also okay it's all part and parcel of the process of being a fallible exhaustible human and it's all good no need to worry about it. no need to worry <laughs> easier said than done i would like to acknowledge that and also <laughs> acknowledge this amazing work thank you so much for your work over there uh the london school of economics is that right that's right yeah well thank you very very much and again the book cannot recommend enough the perfection trap embracing the power of good enough uh our Brene brown has been a guest in the show a number of times she's a good friend and her book the gifts of imperfection were really uh valuable for me and it was such a neat thread to see the connection with the work that you're doing and the research um it's been a it's been a great journey to be on uh exploring your work thank you very much for being a guest on the show we know to get the book uh, is there anything else that you would uh, steer us towards in, in order to stay connected with you and your community and the work that you're doing? Thank you, Chase, for having me. It's been a great chat. Um, well, you can find me at Tom, Tom spot, T-H-O-M, current, current spot, C-U-R-R-A-N uh, dot com. 
Uh, and you can Google the Perfection Trap. You find all those resources. And you'll also, if you if you Google me, you'll also find uh, my socials too. Um, so yeah, I just uh, hope if those that are interested, go ahead and buy a copy. And if you like it, enjoy it, then please feel free to let me know. I love to hear for feedback from readers. Thank you. In this world where we are driven by intense workplace competition, um, oppressively ubiquitous social media, um, the quest for elite credentials, thank you for being a bright spot and helping us understand that good enough and being ourself, our true authentic self, uh, is really what it's all about. Tom, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Both of us, we bid you all out there, you listeners and watchers, we bid you adieu. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. Mm-hmm.